I'm going to admit right from the beginning that uh, this is not the type of uh, Sunday morning sermon that I'm, I'm used to preaching. In fact, I would consider this more of a Sunday evening sermon or even a lesson to teach in a classroom. But I am 100% convinced, convinced that this is what God has for us this morning. So there must be somebody in this room that needs to hear this. I say that while I pop up the, the screen that says characteristics of a fool. Please do not do not read too much into that. That was not intended to come across that way. But I do believe this is what God has for us this morning. I want to begin reading in verse number one of Proverbs 26. Well, before I do, let me make a few other introductory comments. In the first 12 verses of this proverb, this chapter of Proverbs, we are given certain characteristics of fools that we're going to be able to clearly identify. And those of you that are familiar with your Bible understand that there are many characteristics of fools that are given in Scripture. They're not just contained to this chapter of the book of Proverbs. It is spread all throughout the book of Proverbs and to some degree throughout the entire Bible. This passage just happens to give a few of those characteristics. One of the most well-known characteristics of a fool is given to us in the book of Psalms. And I just want to pop this verse up there just so that we uh, understand that the Bible makes it very clear. Certain characteristics of a fool. This verse says this. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So one characteristic of a fool is his belief that God really doesn't exist. Notice it says, the fool has said in his heart. So a fool has convinced himself in his own heart that God does not exist. Whether he states it or not, he wants to believe it. And then his life in turn reflects his belief that there is no God. Therefore, he is not accountable to him. And that's appealing to him. So the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, oftentimes we take that and we relate that to an atheist. And it would apply in that situation. There are individuals that are extremely smart, intelligent, and God has given them a brain that surpasses maybe most of us. But yet they do not believe in God. Therefore, the Bible calls them a fool. Now, if you know an atheist, please do not go up to him and say, my pastor said that the Bible said that you're a fool. That would get you and me both in trouble. But the fact of the matter is, God clearly tells us that one of the characteristics of a fool is that within his own heart, he has said there is no God. He does not live like there's a God because he doesn't want to be accountable. Had the opportunity of interviewing a scientist a few years ago who had climbed considerably high within his field. And he was taught, as all evolutionists are taught, that God does not exist, that the theory of evolution is correct, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, until he began to really see with his own eyes that all of creation just cries out as evidence that God is the creator. And he began to search, and over a period of a few years, God brought him to the point where he realized, I'm a sinner on my way to hell, and I need to get saved. And he got saved. And then I interviewed him after that. And one of the things he said to me is that young evolutionists 
believe evolution because they want to. They're taught that, but the evidence cries against it. And if they will simply follow that line of logic and follow the, the, the evidence that lies before them in whatever field of science it may be, they have to come to the conclusion that God exists. But they don't want to be accountable to him. And so they go with it. They go with what they've been taught. There is no God. Well, we look at that and we say that is very foolish and we understand it is. But I want us to also understand this. That there are some believers who will pick and choose what they want to believe from God's word. And then they live lives that do not reflect a belief that God has control over all of their lives. They do not believe that they will stand before an all-knowing God and give an account someday, just like the unsaved person will, in a different judgment. Now, we may know it intellectually, but our lives live in such a way to where that we're not going to stand before God and give an account. That's foolish behavior. Even if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you act as if you're not going to be accountable to God one day, you are acting foolishly. Now, we could glean through Scripture and find many other characteristics of a fool, but this is one of them. And so I want us to kind of understand where we're going with this this morning. So when we get to Proverbs 26, we get to see similar statements that clearly teach us certain characteristics of foolish people. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that you teach us these things. Lord, we thank you that you give us truth. We thank you that you love us. Father, we thank you that your son died for us in our place. May our lives live like it. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds this morning to the behavior of a fool. Help us, Lord, to do a couple things with it. First of all, help us, Lord, to examine our own lives to see if we have any of these behaviors and then root them out. Because we want to be wise as your children and as your servants. But Father, we pray that we will also see these characteristics among people that we should not be associated with. And Lord, may we reject them from our lives. And Lord, those who are parents, may they teach them to their children. So that we truly can be a generation of believers who live according to the truths of your word. Lord, be with my stammering tongue this morning and my weak flesh and speak through me. May your Holy Spirit have the liberty to move among our congregation this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts and minds of those that are under the sound of my voice, whether they be in this room or whether it be on live stream. And Father, would you teach us what you have for us this morning, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to go through here one or two verses at a time because this is more of a teaching than it is a preaching message this morning. So let's begin with verse number one. It says this, as snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. Well, in, the, in, in verses one, two and three, Solomon, as he writes these proverbs, gives us two physical examples and then pulls the punch or makes the point right after that. And in this verse of scripture, he uses two illustrations. He says snow in the summer just doesn't happen, right? If it does, it's a fluke. 
So snow in the summer doesn't happen, but then he uses this one, rain and harvest. Rain and harvest is not good. You don't want to harvest in the rain. Now, those of you who aren't familiar with farming techniques, let me just illustrate this for you or at least explain it to you. When you mow your grass, if you mow your grass and it's wet and you pile it up in your backyard so you've got a nice heap of grass, and let's say that you come back a week later and you cut through the middle of that heap and open it up, what do you see? Rotting, moldy grass, right? It's the same as you harvest. When you harvest corn or whatever it is that you may be harvesting, it just so happens I was surrounded by cornfields in Indiana, so I have a vivid picture of what this is. But when you harvest corn, it has to be dry. You all are familiar with the, with the phrase, make hay while the sun shines, right? You make hay while the sun is shining because you, you don't want to do it in the, in the rain because it will ruin the hay and then you can't feed it to your livestock. Well, corn has to be dry when it's harvested. Any product has to be dry when it's harvested or else it's just going to rot and be unusable. And so snow in the summer doesn't happen. Rain in the harvest is uh, you don't harvest in the rain. So honor is not seemly for a fool. A fool may seek respect and he may seek honor and he may seek a position of honor, but he never gets it. A fool doesn't understand why. Why doesn't other people respect me as much as I respect myself? I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but I do believe that there are some people that feel that way. And let me just say, if, it's, if this is you who is seeking for respect and you're working for it and you want it, but you can't get it. What we need to do is step back and check our behavior and see if we've behaved like a fool and other people have seen it. Now, one of the things that I believe this verse is teaching, too, is that a fool should never be placed in a position of honor or responsibility. Because when a fool gets in the area of responsibility, it will bring damage. We'll see that within the next few verses. As a matter of fact, drop down to verse number eight and then let's see how Solomon kind of ties this all together. In verse number eight, he says this, as he that bindeth a stone in a sling... So is he that giveth honor to a fool. Now think about this. From what you know about a sling in the Bible, what were slings used for? They were used as a weapon. They could throw rocks with the intent of killing whatever it hit, right? You all remember the story of David and Goliath? How did David kill Goliath? With a sling, yep. Uh, A couple straps of leather with a little pocket on the end. You put a stone in there. It's bound up in that sling until it goes round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And one little stone went up in the air and the giant did what? Come tumbling down. Thank you, Daniel. I knew I could count on our children's director to come up with the children's song. There it is. That's the idea. So what is this verse teaching us? That if... We give honor to a fool. It's like putting a rock in a sling. When a fool is given a position of honor or responsibility, someone is going to get hurt. That's what this is teaching us. Because fools only serve themselves. Now, they may serve others, but it is with a pretense that they're serving themselves. This idea that a fool, when given responsibility, will bring damage is clearly taught in this passage. And that's what verse 1 is teaching us. Verse 8 backs it up. It doesn't make sense to give honor to a fool because when you do, somebody is going to be hurt. 
Sometimes it is damage that he brings to himself. Sometimes it is damage that he brings to others. Sometimes it's damage to both. But he or she will always bring damage if they're put in a position of responsibility. It could be a parent in a home that handles themselves foolishly. And as a result of that, the children are damaged as well as the parent themselves, as well as the home and anybody that would be associated with it. It could be the manager of a business that behaves himself unwisely and becomes foolish in his behavior and brings down the business. It could be the leader of an organization who is given a position of honor, and as a result of that, somebody gets hurt, if not the whole organization. It could be the leader of a city, or it could be the leader of a country. But no matter what that position is, when a fool is put in a position of honor, somebody is going to get hurt, and damage will come from it. So it's best not to give him the honor in the first place. Now, that gets this chapter started. So, we've said this. We're calling it fools and lack of honor. It's because of their behavior, their characteristics. Let's look at verse 2 and we're going to see this. Fools and self-inflicted hardships. It says in verse 2, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the cause causeless shall not come. Well, let's work our way through this. As the bird by wandering, listen, birds don't wander aimlessly. Why is it that we here in Chicagoland see Canadian geese every year about the same time? Because they have a course that they fly, right? They fly north a certain time of year. They fly south a certain time of year. One may end up in your yard. One may end up in my yard. One may end up in the churchyard. But they have a course that they follow. There is not a random flying around. They know where they're going. Swallows are birds that are very acrobatic. They're sleek and they're, they're really neat to watch. Uh, I haven't seen any since I've been up here, but in our home in Indiana, we had barn swallows. And they were just fascinating to watch. They're, they're sleek, they're fast, they're aerobic. And they used to fly around in our front yard, especially after you mow the grass. They would fly and they would catch insects. And one day, our dogs, and we had a couple dogs that were half beagle. And so they were not very big dogs, but they were fast and they loved to hunt. And so these birds swooped down to catch some bugs. And these dogs started chasing them around the yard because the swallows would only fly two or three feet off the ground. And those dogs would run and those and and it got to where that the swallows actually started teasing my dogs and they would swoop down and get the dog's attention and then take off. And the dog would take off just as fast. Both of them take off as fast as they could run those little legs as fast as they could do them. And the swallow would run that dog in circles and circles and circles until the dog was just exhausted and the swallow would fly away. It was intentional. You see, their moves are intentional and precise There was no accidental move in their flying or in their method because one accident and they could have become supper for my dog. So swallows are very intentional and precise in their moves. And so what is the uh, Solomon telling us here? He's saying so likewise. Hardships come upon a fool for reasons. They don't come without a cause. It is because they have earned it. Now, let me say this. We all go through difficulties, right? 
We live in a sin-cursed earth. We all go through difficulties. But for a fool, this is a repeating occurrence. They're constantly going through hardships. A fool doesn't understand the consequences of his actions. And he will not yield to counsel because his mind's made up. You run your car out of oil and your engine's going to lock up. You know how many times it's going to happen? Every time you run it out of oil. If you don't learn. And for a fool, he repeats his foolishness. And as a result of that, the curse comes upon him. Hardships come upon him and they come one after another. And he doesn't understand why. It's because he behaves foolishly. Now look over at chapter 27. Keep your finger here. Go to chapter 27 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says this. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass pass on and are punished. The idea is being, being able to foresee potential problems. A wise man considers the consequences of his actions. And if you're not to the point where that you can, you need to go to a wise counselor who can help you. And then listen. Children, your parents do this for you. Your parents become those counselors that guide you through this. And I want to say more about that in just a moment. But a wise man considers the consequences of his actions and then he behaves accordingly, even if it's not what he wants to do or that a fool just passes on, goes on. Some people know how to handle money. We can say that they are money wise. They understand if you do this or do that, you're going to lose money. Some people have a mind that can work uh, at a mechanical problem or a structural problem. They can look at it. They can see a way to make it work. They can support a weak area when others just can't see how that happens. And if you do it this way, you're going to have problems. They may have wisdom with physics and mechanics so that they can just seem to make things work. I remember getting a picture from Tony Orham one day. He was out installing an appliance at somebody's house and he was supposed to uh, a dishwasher or something, pull it out of the island. There was an island in somebody's kitchen and he was supposed to put in the new one, hook it all up. Easy job until the island collapsed on him and it's laying there flat on the kitchen floor and he had to totally rebuild the island. Why? Because somebody didn't build it right in the first place. He had the wisdom from the mechanics or the physics or whatever word that you want to choose to plug in there to help him put that back together. Some people can do that. Other people would look at it and say, where do we begin? Some people can go through life and make very few enemies. I'm jealous of those kinds of people. They have wisdom for working with people. They think through it and they know if they handle a situation this way, they're going to hurt some feelings. If they handle it this way, maybe it will be better and still achieve the, the purpose. And I, I don't see that we can go through life without hurting somebody's feelings from time to time. It's just the way that it is. The Bible says uh, as much as you can uh, live peaceably with all men. But some people do it better than others. And so we see this wisdom exercised in these different areas. But how much better for us, Christian, to have godly wisdom that will understand that hardships will come by not obeying God's word. Hardships will come when we don't apply God's principles. Log that into your memory because it's going to happen. It will happen. And they don't come without a cause. 
Some people always have drama going on in their lives. Why is that? Why is there always drama? But I tell you, because this verse answers the question, the curse causeless shall not come. There is a reason. Foolish behavior leads to continual hardships. Let's look at verse number three. We're going to see fools and directional choices. In verse number three, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Again, there's two preparatory statements, and then the point is given. These animals, the horse and the ass or the mule, the horse, a whip is used to teach him obedience so that you can lead him in the right direction. You want him to go where you want him to go. You are the one that, that uh, chooses what direction he is to go. So you use a whip to train him. A mule or an ass, as it says here, they put a bridle on the ass so that you can turn his head. And as you turn his head with the reins and the bridle encompasses the, all the, the fittings around the head, the bit that's in the mouth, the reins that you hold on to as you're sitting on his back or as he's pulling a cart, whatever the case may be. But you put that bridle on him so that you can turn his head and then he will follow whatever direction he's looking. And so you turn his head one way or the other. And a fool does not make wise decisions on his own. He must be disciplined in order to head the right direction. That's what this is teaching us. Fools do not make good directional choices. Sometimes the discipline is severe. It tells us here a rod for the fool's back. Sometimes God disciplines fools quite severely. Sometimes... However, on the other side of that, when a horse is well trained and then that horse is obedient, you can simply crack the whip above his head. You can just simply take that whip that you use to train him. You don't even have to touch him with it. You can just crack that whip above his head and he knows what to do. That's a well trained horse. Now, I want you to keep your finger here. Go with me to Proverbs 29, please. And look at verse number 15. Proverbs 29, 15, we're going to make an application here to our homes. It says this, the rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. There are some homes where the parents pretty much let the children run the home. What the child decides is what they do. What the child wants is what they allow. But the Bible tells us here that it is the parent's responsibility to use the rod and reproof to give wisdom. It's the idea that we have here behind the whip for the horse, the bridle for the ass, and the rod for the fool's back. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And it must be worked out of them. Sometimes that rod needs to be applied to our children. When our girls were young... The rod was a wooden kitchen spoon. As one teacher put it, he said, you need to apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. And once that is done, the child will learn. Well, sometimes you have to take that rod and you have to discipline the child because if you leave him to himself, he will always choose self-centered foolishness. Now, this verse uses two words. It says, rod and reproof give wisdom. 
your goal parent, and this is not new to us in Brentwood Baptist Church. You've heard this from me before, but it's worth repeating. We have some parents that have young children in their homes. So let me just reinforce this again. Your goal is to get past the period of using the rod. It needs to be used when it is required. But when you get to the point to where that you can use reproof and reproof is is a verbal rebuke. And so when you get to the point with your child where that you can give him a verbal rebuke and they will obey you. Then, you know, you've passed through that first section. And so they work together a rod and reproof. And all of this must be done in love. That's why Solomon said, my son, give me thine heart. Because we need to teach our children when they're young that pain that comes from disobedience. Pain comes from foolish decisions. And so you discipline them with a rod to save them from long-term pain down the road. And when they begin to learn to trust you, knowing that you love them and that you want uh, their best for them, which is what you must communicate, parents. Then they can begin to listen to the reproof and they say, okay, I understand. I'll never forget talking to my one of my daughters who was off at college. She was asking about a particular um, activity. Dad, what do you think about me doing this and doing that? And it was something that she really wanted to do, but I could foresee a problem. And I said to her, I don't think that's wise. I don't think you need to do it. And I could tell that she was disturbed on the other side. Of the phone. I, mean, I was at home. She was in Wisconsin, so it was over the phone. And I said, do you understand? And she said, no, I don't. But I understand that you're older and wiser, and I trust you, and I'll be obedient. Man, I tell you what, I couldn't have heard anything better in my life at that moment. To know that my child had reached that point. And I praise God that she did, and she listened. And that's the point you want to get them at, parents. You want to get past the rod. You want to get to reproof. But let me say this. We must lead by example, right? We must lead by example. That's why when Solomon said, give me thine heart, he also said, observe my ways. Both of those are important. After men's Bible study yesterday, I was uh, talking with Jason Crisp. He came up and we were talking through a couple things that had to do with our conversation that day. And he told me that he had just bought a children's Bible for Zoe. He wanted Zoe to learn how to begin reading. It was more of a storybook than it was an actual Bible that has the, the Old Testament stories in it and those kinds of things. And he wanted her to have that as her own. And she walks up to him with that little children's Bible in one hand and a highlighter in the other and hands them to dad and says, Daddy, would you show me what's important? I want to highlight it. Now, why did she say that? Because that's exactly what she sees her dad do. He didn't know that he was teaching by example. But he was, right? I bet he's glad right now that he didn't set his Bible on top of the TV and then put the rabbit ears on top of it. Do they do rabbit ears anymore? I'm showing my age. Some of you are like, rabbit ears? What's a rabbit doing in my living room? He was teaching by example, right? I don't know if Samantha does that or not. I thought maybe I'd check Samantha's Bible after church and see if she highlights. I'm just teasing Samantha. I don't plan to do that. 
but we teach by example whether we realize it or not, right? Teach our children to see down the road, parents. Teach them to understand the outcome of their choices. Teach them that there are consequences to actions. And then teach them how to make those decisions and teach them how to apply biblical principles. And teach them that hardships will come when we disobey God's word and God's principles. Well, fools and directional choices, they're not very good at them. They have to be forced. Let's look at verses 4 through 7 where we see fools and information. Chapter 26, verse 4. The Bible says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be likened to him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. I'm going to stop and work through those two verses, and then we'll get the next two. But these two verses are not contradictory. They're complementary. They're two sides to one coin. Verse number four, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be likened to him. In other words, do not give credence to a fool's arguments by recognizing them as legitimate. Sometimes a fool is looking for information so that he or she can use it for folly. Now, let me explain what folly is. The word folly is the outworking of foolishness. That The word literally means to be quarrelsome or to bring contention or to shift blame from myself to somebody else. And if I am picking on somebody else and I have certain information and I've dug it up or I, I have overheard something or I am taking something to make Daniel look bad so that I can kind of shift the blame from him, it's his fault, not mine. It's folly. If I use it to tear another person down or to mock another person, all of that is part of the word folly, the idea. So it's to to create contention and sometimes for the purpose of tearing other people down, actually making me look good. That is folly. So if a person will use information for folly instead of using it for good, he is a fool. And this verse is teaching us that if you give them that information, you're as guilty as he is because you share with him. So there are some cases where we just don't answer fools because they're foolish. Some people fish for information, right? So they can practice folly. It's getting a little quiet in here this morning. If you use information to cause contention or to make another person look bad, or to make your sin seem minor, or to distract from your sin, you are guilty of folly. Some people blame church. Some people blame the pastor. Some people blame their spouse. Some people blame whoever they can. And generally speaking, this person does not deserve to be answered, and that's what Solomon is saying here. For me, if I perceive a person to be this kind of fool, the less said to them, the better. Unless I do what verse 5 says. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. A fool is a fool and will act like a fool. And I have no responsibility to cater to that. In fact, I have a responsibility to answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, I have a responsibility to answer them in such a way as to confront or to stop their foolishness. Let me give you a biblical example. Keep your hand here or put a marker or whatever. And go to John 19, please. 
The book of John, chapter 19. John 19, look at verse number 7, please. Jesus is standing before Pilate. John 19, beginning verse number 7. The Jews answered him. This is the Jews answering Pilate. We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, speaking of Jesus, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus had lived for 33 and a half years. Three and a half years of open ministry. He publicly professed who he was. He proved it through the miracles. He proved it through his compassion. He proved it through uh, multiple ways, through his authority that was evident. Jesus had proved who he was. Verse 10. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. You see what Jesus did? Jesus took it to truth. Jesus didn't entertain Pilate's foolishness. As a matter of fact, if you go back a little further into the previous chapter, Jesus did answer Pilate's uh, questions. And every time Pilate would ask a question, Jesus brought it to truth. He confronted the foolish thinking every time. It wasn't exactly what Pilate expected. It wasn't exactly what Pilate wanted to hear, but Jesus pointed the conversation to truth and not to falsehoods or not to folly. That's the idea behind this passage in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. So let me say this, when answering a fool, confront them if needed. If they're looking for information so that they can uh, practice folly, confront it. Or be quiet if needed and don't give it to them. But always point them to truth instead of toward the spirit of folly. That's the way we answer a fool. Now let's move on. Look at verse number 6 and 7. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. The legs of the lame are not equal, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. So we're talking about fools with information. To rely on a fool for information is self-destructive. A fool will always pervert information. Now, as we go through here and discuss these principles, we please, uh, please understand that we need to make some application. So generally, when a fool repeats information, they do it for the purpose of personally gaining an advantage. Have you ever heard a person relate an event to you? And as you're listening to them, it's very clear as, as they, as they uh, relate to you this account that they are a victim. Y'all ever been there? Man, no wonder you're upset. How could people do that to you? Only to hear the rest of the story later and find out that the first person painted a picture that wasn't quite reality. Y'all ever been there? I've seen it multiple times. And it's sad to me when a fool does that and people fall for it. 
It wasn't that long ago that, well, it's been a few years. And a lady came into my office and she wanted me to believe that her husband was having an affair. I listened to her. And uh, she was all tore up, gave me her reasons why she believed this. So I set up an appointment with her husband and I was ready to confront him on the things that she said. And fortunately, I've learned the hard way not to make accusations until you hear the other side of the story. And as he came in, he sat down, he related to me information that allowed me to see the total picture that she had kept from me. And it changed my whole opinion. The lady behaved as a fool. She may have not been a fool every day of the week, or she may not have been a fool to the fullest degree, but in that particular situation, she behaved like a fool. I listened to a pastor one day uh, who gave an illustration in his own church. A man came in and sat down and said, my wife is treating me like this and like that, and, and, and she's not respecting me. She's not honoring me within my own home. And he gave some illustrations. And, and so the pastor said, well, I, I, I'll, I'll deal with this. And he called the wife. He set up an appointment. She came in. She sat down. And he said, I was ready to take her to Scripture and show her how she needed to be a biblical wife. And before I got to that, she said, Pastor, there's one thing you need to know. My husband is addicted to drugs. She named the drug. And she said his addiction and his desire to uh, get that drug, acquire that drug, however he can, drives everything in his life. And he said, then I had the full picture. And then I understood. Now, look with me over to verse nine, chapter 26, verse nine. We're talking about fools and information. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. Again, Solomon reinforcing the truths that he just explained in verses 6 and 7. And you get this graphic picture here of a fool who staggers around while he's drunk or a drunkard. He's staggering around. He falls onto a thorn and he pushes it into his hand, damaging his hand. Where a sober person would not have stumbled in such a way. And so a fool who relates information can bring damaging effects. Have you ever met a person who is almost always a victim? Odds are they're painting a picture. And they're behaving foolishly. A fool with his tongue can be very hurtful and damaging. By the way, I don't think this is talking about a rosebush type of thorn here. I think it's talking about thorns like that on that uh, image over there that could be two or three inches long. Down in Indiana on the property that we had, we had five acres. When, when I came up here to Illinois, uh, I heard of forest preserves. And uh, I thought, wow, okay, I like that. I think I want to go to the forest preserve. And so I actually moved to where my house is like four houses up from a forest preserve. And this forest preserve, I can see from one end to the other. That's not what I expected from a forest preserve. And I looked at it and I thought, in Indiana, I own a forest preserve if this is what it is. So, but we had, um, oh, now I forgot the name of the tree. 
Locusts, thorny locust trees. We had a couple back on our property and those things could get two to three inches long and they were sharp. And you don't want to fall against it because one of those would pierce all the way through your hand and stick out the other side. I think that's the type of thorn that we're talking about here. The types of thorns that they would have had when Solomon wrote this from where he wrote it. And so a man who relates or a lady who relates information in such a way as to become the victim or to paint a picture that is not reality. That person is a fool and they can do damage with their tongue. They can be hurtful and damaging. Now, let me say this morning, Christian, when you relate information, don't play the part of a fool who paints a picture that is what he wants you to believe. Now, look at verse 10 with me. We're in chapter 26. Look at verse 10. We've covered the first nine verses. Verse number 10. The great God that formed all things. Both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. What do we see here? We see fools and judgment. Judgment's coming, right? Judgment is coming. One truth that a fool doesn't take into consideration is that he, along with all of us, will stand before God one day and God will hold us all accountable for our behavior, right? It will happen. It will happen. The great God that formed all things, the creator, the sustainer, the one who owns all will reward the fool for his foolishness as well as the transgressor for his sin. Judgment is coming. This truth should be sobering enough to cause us all to stop foolish behavior, right? Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 2. He says in referring to God and God's judgment, he says this, who will render to every man according to to his deeds. My friend, judgment's coming. The fool will stand before God and give an account. Look at verse number 11. We see fools in continuing folly. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. We already know what folly is. One sign of a fool is if he returns to the same manner of thinking or the same actions of folly over and over again. Now, we have a graphic example here in God's word, right? I mean, Solomon pulled no punches here. He said, here's a dog that returns to his vomit. Again, living in the country, I have seen this happen. Some of you are probably thinking, not my Fifi. She's clean. She always is clean. She would never do such a thing. Turn Fifi loose for a few days and let her do what she wants to do. And you will understand this verse. A dog will get out and will eat something that upsets their stomach. And they don't care at the time whether it's going to upset their stomach or not. A little bit later, up it comes in a nice little pile. And then they step back and they say, man, I'm hungry. And they go back and they eat the same thing again. Y'all are probably wishing I'd move on, aren't you? It's about time for lunch, let me tell you. But this is what God thinks of our returning to foolishness. As nasty as this is to us, 
This is the way God sees our foolishness. Do you understand? A man who does not learn when he is confronted. A man who does not learn when he actually suffers the damage that he's inflicted on himself or when he sees the damage that he has inflicted on others, when he will not change and he returns to his own folly, he is a fool. And you have God's word on that. God is serious about it. But I want you to see the hope, the light at the end of the tunnel. Here it is, verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. A fool doesn't have to stay a fool. A fool can be corrected. But he needs to understand the problem. Do you see what the main issue here is here in verse 12? Thou seest a man wise in his own conceit. See that word conceit? Look back to verse number 5, please. Chapter 26, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Fools are conceited. And you may say, what does all that mean? We understand, we think about the word conceit as being somebody who is self-centered. And that is an accurate definition of conceit. If you go back and you look at the word here that's translated conceit, it has to do with vision. It has to do with what direction we're facing. We would call it our perspective or our outlook. And so a person who is conceited is a person that only sees one thing, and that is themselves and their own opinions. A conceited man is a man who only sees himself. His vision is locked upon what he wants. His desires, his opinions are the only things that are important. He is self-centered. And he is so self-centered that truth doesn't matter. It doesn't fit into his view. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Whether it comes out in his words or not, his actions show it. God and God's truths don't fit in his view. He may give a little here. He may give a little there. But there's no full surrender. It's conceit. And God says, there's more hope of a fool than this person. How do you get by that? You give it up. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own, you see that word? Conceit. Than seven men that can render a reason. Now here's a good biblical understanding of the word conceit. His mind is made up to go his own way. No matter what reason presents to him, no matter what truth may be presented to him, he's made up his mind. He will go his own way. He will do his own thing and he will bring hardships and destruction upon himself and those around him. A fool must turn from conceit to God. That's the idea of the word repentance. Do you hear me? If you've played the part of a fool... There is hope. Repent. There are some that have made up their mind that they're not going to obey God's truth no matter what that is or no matter what comes. That's foolish. There are some that do not seem to understand that judgment is coming and that their self-centered ways will crumble before a holy God. That's foolish. There are some who do not understand that foolish behavior is damaging to themselves and to others. And if they repeat it, it only makes it worse. But I'm here to tell you there is hope. 
It involves surrender. It involves repentance. It involves giving my will over to God's will and being obedient to his word.